Hey guys, it's Dr. Chloe, and I just wanted to come on and give you a quick thank you. Your support over season one of the podcast has been incredible, and I'm so, so very grateful for each and every one of you. It really means the world to me. We are currently taking a short break while we regroup and reorganize for season two, and I can't wait to get new episodes out to you soon. I also want to let you all know that I am creating a new community in school, S-K-O-O-L. So check the link in the show notes. You can sign on and join the group for free for the next month. And in there, I'm going to be uploading a couple of different courses that I've put together in order to help you optimize your health and the health of your family so that you can really feel empowered in making the decisions that you need to when it comes to your healthcare journey, whether it's the food that you're eating at home or the work that you're doing with a practitioner. So check it out. I'm really excited to be able to connect more directly with you all there. And I'm excited that it's going to be free for the time being. And you'll be grandfathered into that if you sign up now. So check it out. And I will see you there. I hope everybody's doing wonderfully. And I'll talk to you soon. Hey, guys, it's Dr. Chloe. And you're listening to the Radical Remedy podcast. Today's guest is none other than Dr. Robert Malello. So he is the founder of the Brain Balance Program. He is an internationally known chiropractic neurologist, professor, researcher, and expert in neuroscience, neurology, neuropsychology, and rehabilitation. So Dr. Malello's system of working with the brain is truly unique and incredibly fascinating and effective. I find it really interesting to see the potential not only for children with neurological disorders, but also for adults who are dealing with neurological quirks that we're starting to learn about later in life. Please check out this episode. I think you guys are going to find it as interesting as I did. Let me know what you think and check out his books. He has the Disconnected Kids book line and it's really, really phenomenal. Again, it was such an honor to speak with him and it's an honor to have you sharing this conversation with us. All right. Welcome, everybody. This is Chloe here and I'm here with Dr. Rob Malello. He is the founder of the Brain Balance Program and the author of multiple books, which are really awesome. Some, some of them I read at the beginning of me and Remy's journey. Um, and we're really honored to have you here. Welcome, Rob. Well, thank you for having me. It was great. And it was, a, you know, such a pleasure to meet you and Remy the other day. Yeah, no, it was really fun. Um, so tell us a little bit about how you got into this field. Well, I got into it as a parent, just like you, basically, meaning that, um, you know, my interest clinically uh, was always neurology and rehabilitation. That's kind of how I started my journey. I started out really uh, in the, as a chiropractor, really interested in working with athletes and because, you know, that was my background and I had had really good experiences with that. When I was in chiropractic school, I um, got exposed to the fact that chiropractic is really based in neurology and, um, and I really, you know, got into that. And then after I graduated, I got my diplomate subspecialty in neurology and then also in rehabilitation. And um, I just, you know, wanted to focus my career on on looking at merging neurology and rehab. And I started getting into academics and I started doing re uh, research and teaching and um, was pretty, pretty successful in that uh, by the time the early mid 90s. Um, and then uh, 1995, I walk in my house and there's a woman sitting at the kitchen table with my wife and she's crying. And I'm walking in late, as a <laughs> lot of us practitioners do. And uh, it's nine o'clock at night. I have three small children. Um, and she says, Rob, this is Denise. Her son has severe ADHD and mild autism. And she doesn't know what to do. And in my office, I had started a one of the first multi-specialty practices in the country. I had acupuncture, Chinese medicine, nutrition. I had MDs, PTs, OTs. I had psychologists, I had wow. all of it in my actual office. And so she knew that I knew a lot about a lot of different things and especially a lot of different, you know, non-mainstream, you know, alternative approaches. And she had only tried really medication and some basic behavioral intervention. And she was kind of at her wit's end. And um, so I grabbed my wife aside and I said, you know, I see what you're doing. This is great, but I already don't have any time. I'm not home. And you know, so I don't know, I don't know what ADHD is. I don't know what autism is. And she says, well, you know, this woman's in pain. She needs help. And I have this feeling that you are meant to do this. Like, 
you can help her. I know you can. It's definitely and, a calling. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, and I said to her, well, okay. You know, and I just kind of couldn't deny my wife. And so I talked to Denise and went off. And then two days later, I go into my son's parent teacher meeting. He's about six years, five, six years old. He's in first grade sit down and teacher says to me, you know, um, don't know how to tell you guys this, but I think your son has um, ADHD or something like that. And so now I'm hit twice in a matter of two days with this, right? <clears throat> and first I feel, I feel like, um, you know, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed as, as this professional who's out there teaching neurology and I don't even know what it is. And then I feel like, like most parents do, I feel like I'm to blame somehow for my child's issue. And how did I not yeah. see this? And as a professional, I feel even more responsible, right? Um, but at the same time, I hear my wife saying she had this feeling that this was meant to be, and I'm getting these two things, and I'm saying this isn't a coincidence. And so I just say, you know, all I know at that point is I'm going to try to help my son, and I'm going to try to help Denise's son. And, and that's how it started. And, um, you know, the first question for me was, you know, really neurologically, what is ADHD? What is autism? What is happening in the brain? And I went to all the people around me that I yeah. thought would know, and they all came back with the same answer. They had no idea. So that started me on my journey was first and foremost, because I knew I couldn't, I couldn't even know if I could help my son until I really knew what it was. But I knew a lot about the brain. I knew a lot about neurology, and I had already been doing research. So, you know, I had the tools and so I just dove into it and spent the next, you know, as long as I could really figuring out what, what that problem was. Yeah. And well, you've started such an incredible program that's helped so many, I mean, thousands and thousands of children and families. Um, it's really incredible. So your the book Disconnected Kids was one of the first books uh, that I read when I was starting my journey with Remy. Remy wasn't diagnosed till he was two and a half, though obviously very, very delayed. Um and so I found it really, it was a really interesting program where you're looking at the different hemispheres and how they're communicating. Um, do you want to dive into a little bit of that and how that sort of works and how that affects children? Sure. Well, that was, you know, as I started really diving into the research and spending every spare moment I had really in medical school libraries and <laughs> copying papers and getting books and um, staying up till, you know, two or three in the morning when everybody was sleeping so that I could kind of have some time to, to read and write. Um, in the, you know, mid nineties, it was an interesting time because that was declared the decade of the brain by Bill Clinton. And so all of this new brain research came out and also new ways of imaging the brain in real time that had never really existed before. So all this information about how the brain actually functions. Before that, the only way you could really get an idea of what was happening in the brain was after somebody died, you could look at an autopsy of their brain. But, you know, looking at a brain in real time was not something that was really very feasible. Um, so, you know, all this brain imaging came out and it started to, the concept of functional connectivity really started to become in the forefront, meaning that, how the brain communicates, that it was becoming pretty apparent that most issues that are neurological, whether children or adults, are really not structural, they're not chemical, um, they're not necessarily genetic mutations, but there's just something about the way the brain is communicating and connecting and the way networks uh, communicate and connect that really are the foundational problem. That's the issue. And so, you know, I was fascinated by this and it made a lot of sense to me. And so the problem really is that different networks in the brain aren't really communicating and especially between the two hemispheres and the two hemispheres, how they mature and how they develop. So that was really important because the problem was about this functional connectivity where areas of the brain weren't communicating, but it wasn't clear as to how that happened. And then later on, I was able to understand and, and figure out that it really was a product of improper development and growth. Um, so now in psychology and psychiatry and mental health and, 
uh, education, we realize that almost everything in adults really starts in childhood, that it's all developmental, either in the womb, in the first, you know, three to six years of life, something goes awry. Um, and so I was able to figure out that, you know, what happens is that during the growth early on, that there's this kind of developmental imbalance where certain areas, certain networks on one side of the brain are slowed in their development because environmental mm -hmm. factors are, expe are, are, are basically inhibiting the expression of genes. Um, and the right brain develops first in the womb for the first two to three years of life. So when that happens, the right brain slows down and then the left brain tends to speed up. And if there are, and especially in people that are gifted in their left brain skills, um, this kind of creates this developmental imbalance where we have uh, areas of the brain that are actually overactive and maybe even hyperactive. And you have other areas that are underdeveloped and immature. And once this is in place, it stays that way. And depending on whether the, the delay is in networks on the right side and overactivity on the left or vice versa, you have completely different types of presentation. So like ADHD, what you have is, um, you know, attention deficit hyperactive disorder. The attention deficit is the delay of development and immaturity on the right side of the brain where there's certain networks, especially a network called the um, dorsal attention network is underdeveloped and immature. And then you get overactivity of networks on the left side of the brain that are related to motor activity and motivation and emotions and thoughts. So you get um, hyperactivity of the left brain or even obsessive or compulsive uh, or hypermotor activity. So you can get ticks. And so the combination of the two is what we call ADHD. Dyslexia and learning disabilities typically are the opposite, where we have an overactivity on the right side and under on the left. And the makeup of it, you know, all the different networks, all the different areas of the brain, it's unique to each person. So no person has the same combinations of hyperactivity and underactivity, but the bottom line, the problem is the same. And this is the core issue now. And in understanding that, and coming to that, and you know, I wrote a textbook in 2004 called Neurobehavioral Disorders uh, 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 from an Evolutionary Perspective, um, uh, Neurobehavioral Disorders of Childhood from an Evolutionary Perspective, where I really you know, put this down. It took me about 10 years to really compile all of this, but you know, that book is used in graduate programs, medical schools, psychology programs, and now that, you know, that understanding is really at the highest level of research um, really what we understand is happening with these issues. And once you understand that, then it opens the door and says, okay, now what can you do to try to help or even fix these issues? Uh, well, yeah, definitely. I have, I actually have that textbook in my Amazon cart at the moment. Uh, <laughs> I was debating whether yeah. to do that or to just jump in and try one of your courses. Um, but I've loved reading the work that you've done and it was really cool meeting you and seeing how you assess uh, children also with working with Remy. Um, this past week. So tell us, let's, let's go into sort of how you figure out the imbalances and then where you take it from there. Sure. So, you know, I do, as you said, I have a clinical course I've been teaching to doctors and therapists and teachers for um, over 20 years since 2000. Um, and so, you know, it's really looking at my exam and how I train people to do it. It's understanding that whether you're looking at kids or adults, what I do is really what I call developmental functional neurology, which means that, um, you know, we work with adults and I train people that work with adults and um, it's, you know, understanding that all of us have brains that developed as children. And if those brains didn't develop in an optimal way, um, it may not be affecting us, obviously, or we may even be extremely talented or competent at certain issues because people that are extremely talented are even more likely to develop an imbalance on the other side, um, that it's all developmental. And so looking at a developmental exam, so whether an adult walks in complaining of adult types issues, um, you know, everything in psychology now is looking at developmental and realizing that it all starts early on. Um, and so it's a little daunting as a parent. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know, the good news is that it, it can all be changed at any point in someone's life for the most part. And of course, I mean, you have Remy who has some, you know, there aren't that many percentage of people that have true genetic disorders. It's a bit more challenging, but most issues are not genetic mutations or brain injury. They're these functional imbalances. Um, but even in genetic disorders, you can have functional imbalances superimposed that you can make a really big difference. So, you know, I'm always teaching people how to look at anybody from a developmental perspective to really go back in time and say, did this, this, did this adult's brain develop the way it was supposed to? And the, the way to do that is to go back and look at first and foremost at what we call primitive reflexes. Primitive reflexes, you know, when a child's born, there's only about 25% of their brain there. And, you know, by the first three years, it grows to 90% of the adult size. So there's a lot of growth that's happening. And most of that growth, again, is this functional connectivity in the brain. We're not creating more cells or anything. But when the child is, is born, they're bombarded with all of these stimuli. But the main thing that causes the brain to grow is movement. Motor activity is the single most important thing in a child to stimulate growth of their brain. It engages their muscles and it engages their senses and creates this massive feedback into the brain, which turns on genes, which then starts to build connections in the brain. And the more the child moves, the more they move in a sophisticated way, the more feedback we get. And then, you know, when we're first starting out, the child really doesn't have a brain. They really don't have a motor cortex yet. So we're born with these reflexes that start in our brainstem at different levels of the brainstem that allow us to do things like the rooting and sucking reflex, which allows a child to latch on and feed themselves. Grasping reflexes, which allow them to protect themselves from hold on and falling and grab things. The um, orienting reflexes, the writing reflexes, labyrinthine vestibular reflexes, the asymmetric and symmetric tonic neck reflex that eventually lead the child to roll over and then crawl on their belly and then on all fours and eventually walk. Um, we believe many of these reflexes are there to help the child birth themselves. So like the asymmetric tonic neck reflex, when they turn their head, it literally causes them to twist, like they twist out of the birth canal. That's what I, it's just a funny uh, personal note. Remy and I had, Remy was two weeks late. We ended up being induced. We had 72 hours of labor, but he just was not going anywhere. And then we ended up with a C-section. And in hindsight, I really think a lot, you know, the labor never progressed because he didn't have any reflexes. So he wasn't moving anywhere. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, we know that going through, it's kind of like, a, you know, caterpillar go, coming out of the chrysalis to be able to turn into a butterfly, right? Coming through that birth canal is a similar thing to a baby, um, that there's this massive feedback and stimulation and there's you know, all this uh, good bacteria from that the baby gets that, that, you know, coats their gut and their stomach lining. So these reflexes are really important um, and they really help the child to move and engage their senses. They should all be gone by the first year, um, which then should be replaced by walking. Children should walk at 12 months. 11 to 13 months is what I consider normal. Anything beyond that, or before that is abnormal and it shows that already there's some sort of um, you know non-optimal way of the brain developing um, children need to crawl they need to crawl in the right way if they scoot on their butt or if they roll or if they you know drag one leg it shows that these reflexes are getting stuck you know the the fact that you know they have we have these reflexes and they're there and they help us to move and interact and then they should go away. And if a child doesn't crawl or if they have asymmetric primitive reflexes, if they go away on one side and not the other, they create this imbalance of muscle tone. And an imbalance of muscle tone and these persistent reflexes that don't go away is what ultimately produces this developmental imbalance in the brain. And that is what leads to almost every major issue that we see. And it will last a lifetime 
So I just used this analogy on Instagram the other day that, you know, when you're getting a child to ride a bike, let's say you, they may have training wheels on their bike. And what would happen if you never took the training wheels off and they always relied on these training wheels, they probably never would learn how to ride independently. They couldn't be able to do really sophisticated tricks. Uh, they couldn't ride real fast. And, you know, these training wheels would always hold them back. And that's basically, you know, primitive reflexes are essentially training wheels for the brain to help the brain develop until we can take those training wheels off and then the brain can really grow and soar and become really complex. Um, and what we see is that if they don't go away in their first year, they, they never really go away on their own. I mean, I can show you videos after videos of adults with full-blown infantile level primitive reflexes in really, really bright, competent people, but who also have struggled their whole life with certain issues. And we can get rid of those reflexes pretty quickly usually. And when we do, it's life-changing. I mean, literally life-changing right in front of you. You can see these people like anxiety they've had their whole life goes away. Um, you know, they've had chronic digestive issues their whole life and they go away. Or all of a sudden now they can read where they've never been able to read. I mean, it's really pretty amazing stuff. It's crazy. I um I thought it was interesting also. My dad had heart surgery a couple years ago. And ever since his startled reflexes come back, um, and I'm always like, Can we work on that for you? And and my parents just think I'm a little crazy. Um but it is, it's pretty profound. So that happens too also sometimes if there's like an injury or if there's a surgery. Have you seen that happen? I've, uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, it's actually, there's a name for it. It's called frontal release signs. So what happens is ultimately, um, you know, with this feedback from muscles and again, going up the brainstem and looking at the brain builds from the outside in and then from the bottom up. And then as it builds up from the bottom up, going from the medulla to the pons to the mesencephalon midbrain, then to the limbic system and then to the brain. And then ultimately in the back, we get something called the temporal parietal occipital area, which is the major association area for sensory integration. And then in the front, we get the most impressive um, association area called the prefrontal cortex, which controls all human behavior and function. And it literally grows out of the motor cortex. I mean, that's literally where it grows from. So if anything affects motor development in any way, it is going to affect the development of our prefrontal cortex. And therefore, it will affect our ability to think and behave. I'm, I'm going next, in two weeks, I'm going to be lecturing. This is the third year in a row. I'm the keynote speaker at a conference called Movement and Cognition. Two years ago, it was at Oxford. Last year, it was at Harvard Medical School. This year, it's in Tel Aviv. And this is some of the top researchers in the world. Over three or four days, they'll present about four or 500 papers and experiments, really showing that cognitive development emerges from movement, from motor activity, from motor development. And so, you know, primitive reflexes is where that movement really all starts. But then ultimately the frontal lobe comes down and inhibits all these reflexes. So once the brain builds from the bottom up, it then comes from the top down like a puppet master and controls everything. The brain controls everything, not just motor activity, but how we process sensory information, how we regulate our immune system, our digestive system, our autonomic system, our hormones, our detoxification system, all of that is regulated by the brain. And this is what most physicians have no idea, that they think the immune system, the hormone system, the digestive system operate independent of the brain. And they can, but for them to operate optimally and properly, they need the brain to do that. And the right and left hemisphere control all of those systems differently. So if there's an imbalance in the brain, we don't get appropriate top-down regulation. And that also includes the primitive reflexes. So if anything affects the frontal lobe in the brain, either a brain injury, a concussion, or neurodegeneration, or Alzheimer's, or dementia, or if they're really sick, like you said, then the frontal lobe can lose its inhibitory control. And these reflexes sometimes can come back. And in fact, that's what we see. I mean, um, 
there's a classic reflex called a Rabinsky reflex that I think most clinicians know of that is called an upper motor neuron lesion sign. So when someone has injury to the brain, the cortical spinal tract or the spinal cord, we see the return, we see the Rabinsky sign. What most people don't realize is that is a primitive reflex that goes away exactly at one year, which allows the child then to walk. And when it comes back, it means that, you know, we've lost that control from the frontal lobe. Yeah, that one's super interesting. That's the one where you you do along the bottom of the foot and then the toes sort of splay out, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. And you can see like, you know, like on Remy, we saw that it was more on one side than the other, right? Um, So you can see in children that should go away at 12 months. If it doesn't, which often we see, then Usually this delays walking, but it also shows that their brain hasn't matured. Um, And, you know, that may persist into adulthood. If it happens on one side and then not the other, that means that there's an asymmetry of development where one side of the brain or one side of the brainstem is maturing at a faster rate than the other. And this is representative of this developmental imbalance, which I believe, and my research has shown, is really the core issue in almost all neurobehavioral, mental health, and education issues, and many health issues. Because like I said, when the brain is out of balance, it affects every system. So that's why kids with autism or ADHD, or they don't just have you know attention problems or social problems. They also have digestive problems and food sensitivities and chronic inflammation and eczema and autoimmune issues and asthma you know, and hormone imbalances and all of those things, digestive enzyme problems because the the brain isn't regulating it. Well, it's interesting with Remy. So Remy's disorder is a mutation in the syntax binding protein. So it's basically how neurons communicate. So when you look at Remy and, and everything in his body, everything's essentially perfect, especially, I mean, he's just very good looking. I'm totally biased, (laughs) but, um, (laughs) But he's, you know, but it's funny because everybody, you know, it's, it is sort of challenging having a child who's pretty severely disabled, who actually looks really neurotypical. Um, I get, right. I get really obnoxious comments all the time. Like, oh, he's so big. He should be pushing you in that chair. Oh, and I'm like, hey, thanks. Ha you can't walk. Um, but, um, but with Remy, like everything has developed well, but it's his neurons can't communicate. So everything in his entire body is affected by that. So it's, it's, you know, it's interesting to watch. And it's interesting also for me as a practitioner, it's been interesting to watch development in uber slow motion. Uh, right. So Remy continues to move forward, but it's, it's very, very slow. So it's given me the opportunity to look into all of these things and reflexes are definitely a huge, a huge part of it. Um, so once you, once you sort of look at these kids and check which reflexes are active and which they're, which are more active on which side, then, then sort of what's the next step for that? I wanted to take a moment and talk to you about Radical Roots. So I founded this company when my son Remy was diagnosed with a rare genetic disorder and intractable epilepsy. As a doctor of Chinese medicine, I knew that the best way to support his complex neurological and physiological needs would be through dynamic Chinese herbal formulas. I also started studying the incredible effects of hemp and its ability to support and regulate the brain and the body. By combining targeted Chinese herbal formulas with complete spectrum hemp and using a unique alchemical spagyric extraction technique, we have created formulas that are true game changers. Honestly, I truly believe that these are some of the most powerful herbal formulas on the market. Please check out RadicalRootsHerbs.com, use the code RADREMEDY, and get 15% off your first order. I'm so, so proud of these, and I think you guys are going to love them as much as I do. So, you know, again, taking people through a developmental perspective at any age, going back in time and basically looking at them and doing a, uh, a, I look at, you know, muscle tone and asymmetry. So people come in. And, you know, with infants, the first thing you look at neurologically is their tone and symmetry. Um, they should be balanced. They should have perfect, you know, balanced tone and symmetry at the right level. And you can see that in adults too. So you look at things like, do they have a head tilt? Is there a facial asymmetry, which is really very 
important. You know, is one eye bigger than the other? Is they, you know, the crease between their nose and their mouth? Is it deeper, much deeper on one side than the other? Does their mouth droop down on one side? Um, you know, and then I look at their arms and their legs and see if they have, you know, like bending and angulations, or do they have a body tilt? And these can be very subtle, or they can be very dramatic. But most people don't even know that they have them. And then looking at primitive reflexes, which may be the source of a lot of this imbalance. And then looking at their overall core stability, a lot of people and adults that have chronic back pain, it's because they never developed the proper balance of muscles in front and back or right to left. And this, you know, imbalance of tone or their brain being unbalanced is creating different tone. And this ultimately leads to things like neck pain or dizziness or headaches or back pain. Uh, but it really, you know, may go back to their childhood. So we look at core stability and then part of that. So as a child develops, the first thing they do, obviously, is they roll over and then they start to crawl and then they stand up. And, you know, to do that, they have to have get rid of the reflexes and have proper postural stability. As they stand up, now they engage their, their really their vestibular system, their inner ear. And the first part, there's two parts of the inner ear. One is called the otoliths, which really help to balance the head on the body. So if we see body tilts and head tilts, that usually means there's an imbalance in the otoliths. Then we develop the semicircular canals, which helps to regulate what's called the vestibular ocular reflex, which helps to control and stabilize the eyes in the head so that when we move our head, our eyes aren't, and we're walking, and our, our, our head does a figure eight movement, our eyes aren't bouncing up and down, so the whole world doesn't look like it's bouncing up and down. You know, when we move, our eyes stay steady. And this is a, you know, this is something that is a developmental reflex. And if it doesn't develop appropriately, then, you know, we see that. And then we go into the eyes and look at the eyes and how we're able to regulate our vision and our movement of our eyes. And then we start looking at how we, you know, are able to perceive sensory information like sound and light and smell. I mean, most of the kids, a lot of the kids I work with have completely abnormal sense of smell. Many kids with autism don't even know how to sniff. So that area of the brain that is associated with smell is hugely important. It's the basis of social development. I mean, animals socialize through smell, right? So the basis of a lot of our social networks in our brain start with smell. This is also why most kids that have these issues are incredibly picky eaters. It's really because they have an abnormal smell and taste. So looking at sensory and then looking at sensory processing. So how do we process auditory information and high level visual information? And then how do we integrate that together? And then looking at obviously high level motor activity and then ultimately looking at the prefrontal cortex and how we regulate um, attention and thinking, how we regulate social behavior, how we regulate high-level complex movement, how we regulate eye movements, how we regulate our emotions and motivation levels. And all of those things are ultimately what create human behavior, learning, and all of the high-level functions that we do. So we, we need to look at it literally in that way. And that's how I do my exam. That's how I train people to look at an exam. And that's how I look at anybody, no matter what age they're at. And um, usually what we're able to find is that somewhere along that way, you know, that didn't happen. And when we do, we need to go back to that stage and then work with them, whether it's doing specific exercises to get rid of primitive reflexes. Um, but what I've over, overall found is that all of it, ultimately, we have to create balance between the two hemispheres and between these networks. That the, that's ultimately what we need to do. And if we do that, and as we're doing that, um, we get rid of primitive reflexes much faster. We create core stability and balanced tone. We create, you know, more uh, appropriate balance between the inner ear and the eyes so that all of this really, uh, when we're doing that. So, you know, initially with most families and most kids, we start with getting rid of the primitive reflexes, building up their core stability, and then stimulating one side of the brain exclusively to start to create this balance. And then from there, as we start getting changes, then there are more and more complex things we do till we ultimately really get their brain to where it was supposed to be all along. Yeah, no, it's so cool. Well, it's uh, two things to touch on. One, I think it's interesting and I'm curious to hear 
what you think. So one thing that I've always sort of felt, which some people agree with me and some people don't. So obviously, this is to Remy again. But Remy is significantly disabled. He's not walking. Um, and so I've been pushed so much by a lot of his therapists to put him in, in a gait trainer or a stander or things to try and force him to walk. But to me, I've always sort of been like, let's work on him crawling. Let's work on him, you know, working on the reflexes because my instinct was and, and what I've worked with some other practitioners once he starts walking, if he hasn't integrated his his vestibular system and other and some of these other things, then he's just gonna he's just gonna hurt himself and fall down all the time. Absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. And that's true with I'm just working with this um, this man right now. He's uh, an American hero. He was a Navy SEAL. Um, and he when he was home from deployment, he got into a severe car accident and suffered severe brain injury. And his wife is just this amazing person that is a Pilates instructor that has dedicated her life to trying to help him. And, um, you know, he really wasn't getting much help. And, you know, one of my colleagues, one of my students went and worked with him and made a huge difference in their life. But then they asked if I would be willing to go down and work with him. So I was, you know, honored to go down there. And, you, you know, they had these parallel bars, you know, walking bars and, they were kind of forcing him to try to walk on these bars where she was like literally holding him up with a strap. Right. Um, and I, and the first thing I looked at it, I said, you know, he doesn't have any basic core stability. So with kids, with people with brain injury, like yeah. all of his primitive reflexes are back. Right. He speaks like a child. He, you know, understands things in a very limited way. He's essentially yeah. gone back to being a child. And so what we need to do is what I said to her was we need to go back and really start working on the floor and on crawling and on core stability. And she got that because she's a Pilates instructor. So she started doing that. And within a couple of weeks, literally, he was able to stand by his bed independently for the first time. All of a sudden, wow. he's also starting to now not need a catheter to pee. Because now his pelvic wall is coming back, right? And he's starting to actually know when he has to pee, which he had no idea before. And along with that, higher level language. And but you know, the idea is exactly what you're saying. I said to her, you know, Laura, you know, we can't get him up walking until he's actually stable on the ground. You know, it, it children don't just go from you know rolling on their belly and then stand up and walk. They gotta they gotta crawl. They gotta build those systems first. If you don't have that foundation, of course, you know. And the goal is obviously to get him to walk independently, and I believe we will. But again, what happens after a baby walks? Then they start to talk, right? Really. So you know, the high level cognitive issues like talking and thinking and all the things that we want to get back for him is not going to happen until we go back in time and build him back up. And it's exactly with Remy. You're exactly right. You know, getting a child, I, I, I hate the fact that when they throw braces on their legs and do that um, rather than really work on, and they don't realize that the reason why the child isn't walking appropriately doing is because they have these primitive reflexes. They don't have core stability. And, you know, no one looks at these reflexes, even though they're part of a normal pediatric neurology exam and have been for decades, you know, pediatricians never look at them. Almost nobody ever looks at them. And they are so key and foundational in everybody, not just kids, as I said, but adults. And when you get rid of them, you know, you, you have to be able to build them back up. And I totally agree with you, Remy. We have to get rid of his primitive reflexes. We have to build his core stability. We have to build him on the ground where he's stable and he can, you know, be on all fours and sit up and be good. And then naturally he'll start getting up and walking and be able to walk in a more stable way. Um, and so, you know, getting him up and getting him in a trainer or a walker is absolutely the wrong thing to do. And you're right. It, yeah. It just, it blows my mind that it feels like all of this is so logical and makes so much sense. There are so many people who are, who are doing this and doing remarkable things and making life you know, huge changes in people's lives with neuro neurological conditions. Yet it seems like most of the therapists in this country, at least that I've met, um, really don't know any of this at all. <laughs> so I'm so happy that you have a training program 
uh, training other practitioners because it's so important. Remember, I said from the very beginning that most of the time the parents know more than the people that are actually out there doing it. Um, and and it's not that the you know professionals aren't you know bright and intelligent and dedicated. They are. It's not you know it's not that they're doing this and and not aware of this because you know they they're you know lazy. It's because what happens is that very few people actually really understand the brain. I mean, even what people don't realize is most neurologists, most psychologists, most psychiatrists, they really don't know a really high level, at the high level, the way the brain really functions. They know clinically how to be able to assess and treat issues, but they really don't know how it works and they really don't know how it develops. And they don't understand how it doesn't develop. And the average pediatrician knows nothing about neurology. And so, you know, the idea is that there's very few people out there and they're getting these basic training on how to be a clinician. And a lot of the way we approach a lot of these neurological issues is we approach them as an adult, right? We think about, okay, as an adult, you know, we would want to get somebody up and, and walk, you know, and, and we think like, okay, a, a kid can't read and they're dyslexic. So what do we do? Well, make them read more. To an adult, that kind of makes sense. But really, when you think about it from a developmental perspective, it makes no sense. You're trying to get the child to use an area of their brain that hasn't even grown yet. But you're going to force them to try to use it even when it's not there. It's like saying, I'm going to force you to use your right arm even though you don't have it, right? So do this right arm exercise every day. And you're sitting there like, I don't have an arm. They're like, well, do the exercise. And if you do the exercise enough, your arm will grow. That's not the way it works right? It's a top-down approach that we use to almost all of these developmental issues. So we're, we're basically saying, well, use your brain and use your reason and let's modify your behavior and let's sit down in front of a computer and try to make you concentrate or let's make you read books. And you know, you know, just try harder. <laughs> yeah, just try harder. Instead of saying, no, the foundation hasn't been built yet. So let's go back to that and then build it back up. And then we can add the more high-level, you know, cognitive-based stuff, and then it'll work. One of the things that we talked about the other day that I just haven't studied much of that I'm really, that I want to study more on, so I'm going to pick your brain on it a little bit. Can you tell me a little bit about how vision affects the brain and how the vi brain affects vision and just speak to that for a couple of minutes? Sure. Well, again, I look at everything from a developmental perspective. So when you look at the development, obviously the three systems that the brain and the nervous system is really built on is really the postural motor system, big muscles, especially along the spine, mm -hmm. um, the inner ear, the vestibular system, and then the oculomotor visual system. So those three systems really form the basis. And those three systems, if you look at them, they're bilateral, right? So they're the only systems really that, you know, they're on both sides of the body equally. We have two eyes, we have two ears, you know, we have two, two sides of our spine and our posture. And then they end up being the foundation of the brain, which has two sides. So that it's all in this alignment. And vision, you know, children don't really see clearly until they're really about six months of age. Um, when they're born first, um, obviously they don't see a lot in the womb, but then when they're first born, they only really have more peripheral vision. They can see the outline, which is partly, you know, during that period of time in the first, in the womb, in the first two to three years of life, the right brain is forming. So the right brain visually will always be more specific and better at looking at peripheral vision, at movement, motion detection, and at looking at the big picture. So the right brain just kind of gets the outline of things. It doesn't look at detail. Later on, after three, when the left brain starts kicking in, then the visual system and different receptors called parvocellular receptors, as opposed to the initial magnocellular receptors, which really only, which have a large receptive field. So that's why, again, the receptors that are forming, the stimulus that's available, um, and the side of the brain that's developing, well, this is how it dictates and this is how it creates one side of the brain being a little bit better at certain things than the other. 
Um, and then the parvocellular receptors, which is really more in the central field of vision, develop after three years, primarily two and a half. And that goes, you know, more to the left brain. And we get the left brain is all about detail. It's about very clear vision and color vision. And, um, you know, this, uh, this shapes the way the occipital lobe on the left is different than the right. But obviously, the idea is that we need to blend both of those together. So it's always about using the whole brain. But the right side is, you know, develops better for certain things. And the left brain becomes better at other things. The whole brain can become anything. Uh, but the fact that the brain becomes asymmetric and lateralized is absolutely true. You know, it, it's crazy. Sometimes you read on the internet some there's a person wrote an article in Psychology Today a few, several years ago, and the title of it was that the right and left brain thing is a myth. And when I read that, I was like, where's that coming from? Because that's completely wrong based on what we know with, you know, decades of research. Um, and, you know, it turns out that he really was, you know, in the article, he talks about how the right brain and left brain are different and asymmetric. And, but he talks about how he didn't believe the idea of a right brain or left brain kind of personality type or style was right because there was this article that came out in the University yeah. of Utah that kind of supposedly, you know, showed that it wasn't true. Um, turns out, you know, that I that article is not is not accurate, and the whole idea is wrong. But the idea that the right brain and the left brain, you know, work and can become anything, but ultimately they become more specialized. And this gives, gives us great advantage. And, but ultimately, we need to blend them together. So, you know, the left field of vision and the right side of vision, we get, you know, motion detection, big picture, peripheral vision. You know, from the right, we get the left, we get detailed, very clear central vision. We get more, um, you know, looking at uh, um, the, the colors and we merge them together. And that's how we get appropriate visual processing. So it's a very, very important foundational system. Um, and, you know, if there's a lazy eye, if there's an imbalance, and it starts also with the oculomotor system. So the muscles are really what develop first. And then we develop a reflex called the optokinetic reflex, which remember I showed you it the other day where you look at, let's say, moving lines or anything moving and the eye jumps back and forth or up and down. And that's a basic reflex that eye movements and vision are built on. And again, that has to develop appropriately. Um, and if it doesn't, then, you know, we may get problem where we have imbalances in eye muscles or a lazy eye or, you know, we can't really follow or track appropriately. Um, and then this obviously affects the visual acquisition and, you know, how we're able to merge our images together to form 3D vision in the brain. So cool. Um, yeah, it's, it's been really interesting watching Remy's vision change as he gets older. Um, he still does the side eye. So I'm excited to, to work with that a little bit well, more. Now you kind of understand why he does the side eye, right? because he still, he never really completed developing his right brain. And so the right brain sees out of the side of the eye. So he kind of turns his head to kind of favor the side um, which helps him engage more that right brain system, um, you know, and then eventually, you know, you, you look at things straight on with our, our macula, uh, but you can kind of understand why autistic kids and kids like Remy will look out of the side of their eye. What is that all about? Well, it's all about you're actually using either the right brain or the left brain more. You're favoring one side or the other. It's very cool. Um. All right. Well, I know you've got a lot going on. You're going traveling. Yes. Um, so I'm super grateful that you took the time to talk with me. Um, is there anything else that you feel like other parents or other practitioners should know or where the, can they reach you? Yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot of different things. My website is really very active. So there's a lot of stuff on there. I have a lot of different programs, uh, educational programs for professionals, for parents, I do, you know, coaching programs to help people like bring a lot of this information out to the world um, and also bring it into their families and into their lives. I have a group, you know, coaching and therapy programs that I do with parents around the world if they want to really incorporate a lot of my work into their home. 
Uh, all of this can be found on my website, drrobertmalillo.com. I also just created an online course for adults with ADHD and different types of brain imbalances that's completely online that they can also go to where they can assess themselves, find out about their own brain, and then basically follow this course and see if they have primitive reflexes. And then I give them specific exercises and activities. And um, a lot of the uh, information there is something that they can do at home on their own. Um, so I think, you know, if somebody's really struggling and adults obviously can't always get, it's harder to get to a, an office or something. This is something that people can do on their own. Um, and then obviously my books are also available through there and I have vitamins and supplements that I created. So anything that's out there really on my website, I'm also pretty active on my Instagram. And what I try to do is a lot of people ask me um, about what do these primitive reflexes look like or what does it look like? How do I assess it in my child or myself? Or And so I, I'm always putting on little videos on my Instagram. So at Dr. Rob Melillo is my Instagram and, and, and my, it's connected to my professional Facebook page as well. So I'm always putting a lot of educational videos out there. I do have, like I said, my a professional course. I'm starting to teach it live down at Life University in Atlanta in September. And I'm also going to be teaching it in Bulgaria um, for European and people around the world starting in September as well. Um, so, you know, all of that information is on my website. People can go to that. People can check it out if they want to you know, do that. And they can reach out to me. I usually try to answer questions, especially on Instagram. Um, but, you know, I try to just whatever get this information out in any way possible to people. And, um, you know, I'm just uh, anxious to talk to anybody that wants to know more. Well, awesome. It's, it really, you know, to me, again, getting this education out there is is so huge. Um, not only have you developed a program that seems to really, really work and look at the whole brain and really help support neurology and development, um, you know, the, the fact that you're doing so much advocacy and education around it really is amazing. I've met a lot of doctors who are brilliant, uh, but who sort of keep keep their stuff in their practice. And uh, you know, to me, the more the more we can get this out there, the more we can empower and educate parents and families. You know, the better we all are. Um, so thank you so much for that, and thank you so much for your time. We'll let you get back to your family before you go travel. Thank you again. I hope you have an awesome okay. day. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Radical Remedy Podcast. The Radical Remedy Podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing or other professional health care services, including the giving of medical advice, and no doctor-slash-patient relationship is formed. The use of information on this podcast or materials linked from this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions.